Hello everybody. Welcome to Emin, the first ever podcast series brought to you by the Industrial Application Society of IEEE NCSE. This is your one stop to know everything and anything about the tech and the industrial world. So get ready to awaken the engineer in you. Hey everyone, hope all of you are doing good. Welcome to a brand new episode of Ement, the IAS podcast. We both will be hosting today's episode. Hi, I am Sanjali Sajan. And hello, I'm Samyukta K. And today we have with us someone who's working in everyone's dream company. Well, it definitely is mine. And I'm sure all of you will agree with me when we reveal it. So guys, let's come to the point. Let us welcome our guest. I will give you a clue. She's one of our alumna from the batch of 2002. She has previously worked with big names such as Cordis R&D, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs, and she is currently working as a software engineer at Google. Yeah, she is none other than Nandana Dutt. Ma'am, we welcome to our podcast. Welcome, ma'am. Hi, Sanjali. I'm Samyukta. Uh, I'm really delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, let us go straight into it. So, Sanjali. like i mentioned is google your dream company well absolutely anybody would love to work there <laughs> that's it google is the dream company of millions of people around the world so ma'am can you brief us about your day to day routine or what a day in the life of a software engineer at google looks like yeah for sure um so maybe i can give you a bit of background about myself uh, at google what i worked on and all of that So I've been at Google for uh, over twelve years now. Okay. I, I started in two thousand eight. Um, I I worked in um, Google Ads mm-hmm. uh, for five years in in New York. Then I moved to London. That was eight years ago. Mm-hmm. And the first five years in London, I worked in Google Maps backend, uh, kind of improving um, the quality of of place detection and in, improving basically the. the quality of blue dot that mm-hmm. you see on on Google Maps yeah um and now in the past 3 3 plus years i've been in android so in, in my current role um i'm a tech lead for a few different areas in android mm-hmm. um and I, i can just give you a quick overview of that okay uh, the, those areas are uh, one is android storage so a- anything on your mobile phone where I uh, you know you're taking a picture or a video and it gets stored or in any kind of files that are stored um so that's all that all qualifies as under android storage uh-huh. um and all, all the privacy rules associated with with the data that you store on your phone uh, you may not want the apps that are installed on your phone to have access to all of this data so uh, there are some complex business logic uh, around it and all of that is under storage then the other another area that i work on is the updatability framework so your phone uh, normally when it moves from let's say android r to android s or you know I, we are calling it in numbers now so if, if it's moving from android 10 to android 11 usually it comes through your uh, phone's oem like if you have a samsung phone it normally comes through samsung as a new update mm-hmm. um but that can take time right um after the latest version of android is available on aosp you the oems have to customize it and then send uh, a new uh, image over there um to to kind of address these delays uh, in all the devices getting updated to the latest software there we have an effort called updatability where parts of the operating system can be updated independently through play store 
mm-hmm. uh, without having to go through OEMs. Okay. And um, my, my team works on safely applying these updates that, that come through from Play Store. Okay. Um, and another area that uh, I work on is device performance for emerging markets. So emerging markets typically have um, tend to have uh, entry level phones are very mm-hmm. much in use and they, the hardware specs may be different than mid-tier or premium tier devices, but we do want Android to perform equally well uh, in all kinds of hardware. So that's another area that I work on. And then the last one is we also work on features that improve privacy for for users. So this this can be kind of cross-cutting across many many other Android areas. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's, so I'm basically a TL in these areas. And I think, to summarize my role, I, it's it's to kind of conceive of the next improve, big improvements in each of these areas and mm-hmm. um, help my, my teams execute them. Uh, so, you know, whatever it takes is my job. Okay. Sometimes it can be figuring out the next year's strategy mm-hmm. uh, in a certain area, or it could be kind of more detailed work, like reviewing design docs or sometimes even reviewing code for some things. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, it could be talking to other teams or other leads uh, and working with them uh, in some of these cross-cutting efforts um, mm-hmm. so that we can ship the solution in the next mm-hmm. version of Android. So I think um, you know mo- most of that is conversations and meetings mm-hmm. uh, and all of that, uh, but some of it is more kind of sitting down and thinking or writing, writing documents to convince people about ideas, all of that. So I think I divide my day into the more proactive work where I, I control my time and I sit down and work on my ideas. Mm-hmm. Then there's a more reactive time where I'm working with people or meeting people or reacting to their emails. Okay. So that's roughly how I would divide my time. Uh-huh. Uh, it It's different from like, over time, it's been different, mm-hmm. so it, it may not be uh, the average experience I've had over the past 12 years. Um, in every team, I think I've had a slightly different role and a slightly uh-huh. different experience. I, I've also had the, the first five years, probably, I would say, as a uh, pure IC, I, I had uh, mostly like 95% of my time was heads down coding. Okay. That's also been another kind of experience, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good so that you. sounds very interesting. Uh, so, ma'am, you started out as a software engineer at Cody's R&D in 2002, right? And then uh, yeah. you worked at Morgan Stanley as a software associate. And now you're currently working as a software engineer at Google. So, how do you think the work culture has evolved like in the past 20 years in the software field? I think the industry itself has uh, moved in the direction of more openness and more transparency, I would say. Um, like the tech industry uh, is a lot more transparent and open now than it used to be when I started. Uh, as an example, that there are there are a lot of efforts to be more transparent about salaries. Um, people share their salaries and um, kind of try to address um, gaps where people could be misleveled or um, kind of not getting paid equally as their peers. Uh, so that that kind of those kind of developments are, are um, more recent. Um, another example is that some industries, some companies actually publish their uh, internal job ladder. So the job description, 
um, and what each level means. Um, and that's been really good for uh, for companies to learn from each other and also for folks to folks who are new to the industry to know what kind of skills they need to to qualify for each level and things like that. So that kind of transparency is fairly new. I would say maybe another difference I notice is that um, companies very actively communicate about their values um, a, a lot more like maybe maybe it's a factor of um, you know it, it maybe it leads from the transparency but uh, companies are very open about what they support what kind of values they have and uh, how how can they support uh, having a more diverse team all of that are more in the forefront now and there's also a lot of emphasis on well-being um, as a tech industry culture so even like 10 years ago, um, people used to take a lot of pride in working with the weekends or working on uh, after hours, but currently there is definitely a, a strong trend towards better well-being of employees and companies proactively think about well-being rather than reactively do something after there's been a crisis. So I, I think those are some of the big changes that I've seen. Okay, so this is like a curious question, like. What motivated you to choosing engineering in the late 90s, especially computer science engineering stream? Because that was not very prominent in India, at least. Yeah, so when I was uh, about to do my undergrad, I think software field was known to be a field of really good opportunities and career growth already. Mm -hmm. Like, we kind of knew that. Okay. What we didn't know, at least what I didn't know is exactly what degree would get you where like what's the difference between computer science and like okay. I, think I, I probably didn't know all of that and um yeah i didn't particularly have a great interest in computer science when i first started out uh -huh. uh, but once i started uh, writing code i think that was probably a turning point and uh -huh. i found it very engrossing and uh, you know, the flow state that you get in when you are completely engrossed in, in the code that you're writing, I found that really, really interesting. Um, and that definitely um, made me decide, okay, this is the right field for me. And that is true even today, even today, if I, that is one of the most immersive things I, I think I can do like, is, is write some code. Okay. Um, so I think I, in some ways I got lucky about picking something that I enjoy and have an aptitude for. Mm -hmm. uh, although I do believe most, so I believe in a growth mindset, which means that you know most 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 of the time you can pick up a skill and be really good at it. It's mm -hmm. better if you align it with some of your natural aptitude and some of the natural tendencies. Mm -hmm. But there is no such thing as you know you can only do this one kind of job. Like there are, there are just so many opportunities for us out there. Okay, and uh, I, I think problem solving is is the main thing here right like all of these um all of these jobs um in, in the tech industry ultimately whether you're writing code or you're driving a project or you're managing a team what you're doing is problem solving it could be different aspects of of it mm -hmm. uh, but un understanding which problems are worth solving then getting a team together to kind of take it forward and ensuring that the solutions are good and the, the, the solutions land well and 
overall you bet you leave the world in a in a better place than when you started so i think i i think that's that's the that's that's where it takes you okay okay so do you have any memories from college mec 2002 um we planted some trees in 2002 wow, <laughs> and they were actually it's actually still there and we have yeah, we've been in a place called yakasa people hang out there yeah the trees are there uh, i've seen them uh, i live close to the college actually so whenever i go past i i do check out the trees and they are really big and they give a lot of shade so that's very useful that's, <laughs> that's, yeah actually i think that's the only tree <laughs> I think that's the only part where we have little more greenery. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it used to be really hard uh, during sports or arts or whatever to kind of find a spot to stand in and watch things because <laughs> there were no trees. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, back in your college days, like which is the early two thousands, how tough was it for a CS undergrad to develop new skills? Like today we have tons of resources. No. Uh, but things were very different in those days so how did you manage that yeah i i think it was definitely possible to find resources uh, but it was really really hard uh, as in like you, you have to really go out of the way and you have to probably go to the library yeah. <laughs> to get get these resources i don't think you, there was like a proliferation of tutorials uh, online for example um i i i learned nearly everything i know now on the job so once i started working that's that's how i learned things uh, i i agree it was pretty hard uh, even the nature of the syllabus was it was not entirely applicable to the kind of jobs you would do eventually um the basics are good to know for sure and i i do work in operating systems now so i appreciate the operating system courses i took in msc for example uh, but most jobs are not like this so more, for, for most jobs um a theory based curriculum may or may not position you really well um for for the practicalities of the job uh, so i think a lot of us did side projects and things like that to learn more um yeah th- those were some of the ways that uh, people try to keep themselves um really up to date mm. yeah i i think it's it's also like that way i'm a bit of a generalist um i don't care about a particular technology as such i just care about solving problems so i i'm okay going into any pretty much any domain as long as it aligns with my values i may not go into something that i'm totally opposed to um in terms of a domain but as long as things align with my values i'm okay going into any domain and uh picking up the domain expertise that's needed and technology is usually a transferable skill like especially programming languages and all of that as you you know a couple then you can very easily pick up a new one and you know even with stacks uh, front and back and all of that like yeah you will when you go into a new area you will have initially a bit of a ramp up time like even within google i the, the three areas that i mentioned uh, ads maths and now android they are all i worked on different stacks in all three and yeah there is a bit of a learning period in the beginning but then you get used to it okay so ma'am like you worked at different places for like a lot of years of experience so can you like tell us how the work culture at google is exceptionally different from other places other companies 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, I worked at Google for too long to kind of keep up with other companies okay. at this point. Uh, but I can tell you what I noticed initially when I moved to Google and also what I, what I still like about, about the culture here. Um, so Google has grown quite a lot since the time I joined. So I think overall there's been evolution of, of culture, but there's something still been the same. Uh, and some of my favorite parts about Google culture is, is the transparency. Mm -hmm. um, previously, I worked in banks, uh, as you mentioned. Yeah, where... Morgan, uh, Morgan Stanley. Yeah, Morgan Stanley. Yeah, Morgan Stanley, and I interned at Goldman. So um, there's a lot more secrecy and firewalling, uh, oftentimes because of you know regulatory requirements. Um, but then it becomes part of the culture, and even even when you don't need it, sometimes there can be kind of secrecy between teams. Mm -hmm. But things at Google have been very transparent. Like you can read pretty much any code that's written for any any of the projects mm -hmm. like there is so much transparency and trust um and we we get a lot of visibility into very high level decisions we we have weekly uh tgif um, meetings uh with the leadership like sundar mm -hmm. um there, there is yeah so there is a lot of information coming our way and there's a lot of trust and transparency which i really really value coming from places where that's not been the case Mm -hmm. um, I think th there's also focus on getting things right in culture. Um, you know, being a big company, that's a bit hard to do because you can't be uniformly perfect in every way, but there's definitely a focus on improving things and try to get things right as much as possible and being open to new ideas. So that's something that I really appreciate okay. uh, about Google. And I think um the third thing would probably the opportunity to work with really really smart people and learn new things pretty much every single day i think that that's a big perk in my opinion uh, working at google are you interested into data science like what would be your suggestions to a person who's just starting off in the field of data science like what are some must have skills in a dat in data science in today's world yeah, it's a good question. It's a relevant question. Uh, I'm not an expert in data science at all, uh, but uh, I've done some work uh, in, in data science areas. Like, for example, I think I mentioned earlier that I worked on improving the quality of the blue dot that you see on maps and that that was using various location signals and running some models on them. So um, it's definitely been a pretty hot field in the past few years. Um, there is like a huge market for uh, these skills for sure in, in multiple industries. Um, for people who want to get into this, I think th there are just so many resources available online now. Uh, for example, this Stanford course that you may have come across. It's a pretty popular course for uh, data science or machine learning. Um, at, at, at a fundamental level, statistics is a Statistics related courses are great to build the mathematical foundations that you need to know going into this. Um, so I, I would recommend taking uh, those courses or, or or reading books on that and getting a solid understanding of, of the basics. Um, because data science is a very math heavy field and um, normal computer science courses may not cover that much math. So I think that's a really, really useful background to have. Um, 
And beyond that, you know, in terms of tools, uh, learning Python, uh, the, the Pandas library, it's a Python library to work with data sets or learning R uh, language, all of that are enough to get started on trying out various projects. Um, and there are these free online execution environments like Google has one called Colab, uh, where you can run run your experiments uh, and work with data sets and run these models and see see how the results come out. So there are a lot of resources like that. Um, uh, th those are uh, really good for people to just start playing with some data set. Uh, the most important thing for is perhaps identifying some real world problems that you're interested in solving and applying this. Like you don't need a lot to start, right? Like, you know, for example, um, you know, there, there are so many open, open data sets uh, that are published by various government agencies. Um, maybe for example, the vaccination rates of various countries. I, I know UK publishes a lot of data around it. So you can play with that data and see uh, maybe try to predict some trends about uh, what's going to happen next. Uh, so applying that into real world problems that's around you, like another another example could be like, you know, um, um, a, a lot of government agencies uh, publish data about uh, government initiatives or maybe about census. So maybe data about education rates in India for various states. And based on that, maybe you can come up uh, come up with some insights, um, looking for those insights by mapping this data out uh, and kind of running some models on it. So it's about the application um, to get started. I think that's that's the best thing. Okay. In terms of the future of this field, um, there's definitely it's it's definitely going in at least to two different specialization areas. Um, has been for a while, and this is not particularly new, has been for a while for the past three, four years, I would say. One is um, a more privacy preserving way because all of these uh, data science kind of inside driven projects, all of that requires a lot of data. Um, and in, initially the industry tended towards getting a lot of data. Now um, it is learning to balance the need for getting data with the need for preserving users privacy. So privacy is a really, really big field within this. Uh, so there is a lot of uh, things like, you know, differential privacy, applying uh, those kind of concepts to data science. That's that that's one kind of specialization that comes to mind. Another one is about ethics and fairness. So because all these models are built by human beings, whatever biases human beings have will be reflected on it. Uh, for example, if you're training data, uh, does not have, let's say I'm building something here in London and my training data does not have people from India um, in that, in which case the model will have some biases. Um, it may not perform really well on data that comes from India. So those kind of uh, countering all those biases that are inherent in models uh, is also a really interesting field. Um, it's usually under AI fairness or AI, AI ethics. I think those are like if, if there's anyone who's interested in research, these are some of the areas I would recommend. Yeah, that will be really useful for our listeners. Uh, okay, so we are almost nearing the end. And to and so as the last question, we'll ask a very cliche question we have asked to almost all our guests so far. 
So, like, what advice do you want to give to a budding engineers out there or engineers who want to join Google or like that? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, it's a tough one for me to answer right now because I have to travel really back, far back <laughs> in the past to put myself uh, a long way. Um, yeah, I, I think right now is a really challenging time. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm sure all of you identify with that in terms yeah. of taking your lessons virtually. Right? Yeah. Yeah. How has it been for you? It has been tough. It has been really tough for us. Like we have to manage studies. We have to manage friends. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of exhausting. Yeah. It is really. To come, no? Yeah. Yeah. It is really exhausting, and it's mentally pretty exhausting. And even like you probably feel cheated out of your college life, right? Like you're spending. Absolutely, that's very true. Someone asks us, "What are the memories from college?" We just have like first two years. We just remember the first two years, and even that was little bit taken off by the floods, Kerala floods. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, all that is it's a really challenging time for all of you who are freshly graduating out of the engineering colleges. So I think, kind of being a bit accepting of that, like being a bit kind to yourself and. Allowing yourself that time to get used to uh, the changes, right? I, I think that would be, yeah, that would be a key part. Even as you go into the industry and start working, um, it, it, it is going to be different, right? For folks who are starting right now, you're, you're probably going to be starting remote. So I, I've also onboarded a lot of people in the past year. Okay. Some of them have been new grads. Okay. Um, it's it just been challenging to to kind of uh, really uh, get people on board and help help people mm -hmm. um, and get them into the team's culture. All of that has been really challenging, and I think you will also face those challenges. I think my biggest advice for that would be to always prioritize getting to know people, mm -hmm. and that's something that you really miss out. Uh, yeah. you know working on your own mm -hmm. but do do set up one-on-ones or like do really put yourself out there and try to get to know everybody that you're going to work with uh -huh. and in the beginning you can always play i'm i'm really new here card and you know oh yeah you can keep <laughs> keep asking questions and mm -hmm. um try to develop those relationships early i think that would be i think that's the main thing like or, or everything else can come later, like mm -hmm. learning on the job, learning about technologies, all of that can come. Mm -hmm. But um, the initial kind of bonds that you make uh, with people, that's that's what is going to help you yeah. in the long run. Okay. Yes. Uh, yeah. So with that, we've officially come to the end of our fourth episode. Thank you so much, ma'am. We had a delightful time and hope you enjoyed it too. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed talking to both of you. Thank you. Yeah, even we enjoyed it. And uh, thank you everyone for listening to today's episode. We have more exciting stuff on board. So stay tuned and listen more.